Welcome to Ladies Roadmap. Are you finally at the point in life where you actually have a little time to think about yourself? What does that look like? If you're ready for positive change and an enriched life, then come along as we take you inside the stories of thought-provoking guests who reveal their knowledge, experience, reinvention, and an overall passion to live a full, beautiful life. Yes, expect to uncover your deepest self and turn your dreams into reality. Hello and welcome to Ladies Roadmap. Well, today we're back in Newport Beach, Jamie, and we have a special guest today. I've known this woman, Annette Altmans, for many, many years, and I've always known Annette to be a very caring, sensitive, giving person. She has always been philanthropic, and she was always doing for others. I do remember that about you, Annette, That's always. very nice. Welcome, Annette. Mm, thank you. Wow. How do I respond to that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, let me tell you what Annette is doing now. Annette is going to talk to us about a subject that not that many people talk about. It's not a very pretty subject, and it's a subject that is difficult to talk about sometimes, but I think we've all known someone or been involved in some sort of abuse, whether it may be domestic um, or otherwise. Annette has, has formed a group called The Mend Project. So Annette, thanks mm. again for taking time to be here. So Annette, I think a good place to start is, first of all, give us an idea what The Mend Project is about. Mm. Thank you. Well, um, I started The Mend Project to help train first responders um, to better interface with victims of abuse and trauma. So um, when I say first responders, we can all be first responders at some time in our lives, can't we? A sister, a mother, a child, a friend comes to us and says, I'm being bullied at school, or I'm experiencing a lot of stress, what feels like abuse in my marriage, and I don't know how to quite define it or how to explain it, and I just need someone to talk to. What do you think about these things? You know, in those cases, we are first responders. It doesn't require that you be a police officer or a social worker or a counselor or a pastor. We all find ourselves in those roles from time to time. And so that's what I wanted to do is to give better tools because even counselors, professional counselors, have very few hours of academic training about the topic of abuse in their academic studies which is pretty astounding when you think of they graduate, and this is not against the, the counseling profession because there are many people who have such huge hearts to serve, but if you aren't specifically trained in abuse, then you, aren't, you don't respond well and you're not able to diagnose what you're... Everybody has, in other words, everybody has a different idea of what domestic violence is or what bullying is because it has to do with our cultural orientation. Well, tell us what your, you know, you talk about the domestic violence Mm -hmm. and I've heard you speak about this and can you give us a little more explanation on what is domestic violence Mm -hmm. for those who maybe don't know or they have a certain stigma Mm -hmm. about what domestic violence is? Yeah, it's a great question. I love um, describing it because domestic violence um, is often perceived by 
those who haven't experienced it, they perceive it to be hitting, kicking, slapping, name calling, um, yelling. And that is what I call overt domestic violence, overt abuse. But there is something much more insidious and pervasive that the CDC con- um, considers to be so so physiologically and emotionally harmful that they say it's second only to life-threatening battery in terms of the harm that it causes. And that's called covert emotional abuse. That's the hidden forms of abuse that are hard to describe, hard to name, and therefore nearly impossible to properly confront. Well, you know, you had in some of your information, you had a statistic that we found was, Joe Jamie said, look at this, Lana, it was pretty overwhelming. Yeah, it was really shocking. You said um, 50% of all relationships have some type of domestic violence. Or intimate, mm-hmm. or you, I think it was more intimate. Emotional abuse. Emotional abuse, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so true. And so um, what I, what, if I could go a little bit in depth about what covert emotional abuse actually looks like. Um, I, I like to use the analogy of a maze. We've all seen a maze, like in grade school, we're required to navigate through a pencil and paper maze. And what you have is one entrance and you have one exit. And that I like to consider a maze as a conversation. So if there's a conflict or a question or a criticism or a concern, when you're involved in a healthy relationship, you enter the maze, you enter the conversation by mutually validating, mutually listening, caring about reaching a mutually amicable solution. Sometimes you can't reach a mutually, you can't mutually agree, you have to agree to disagree, but it's done with mutual respect. And that way you then can exit the conversation with the solution of mutual respect and never really falling below the line, so to speak. But an unhealthy conversation or what actually is covert abuse, domestic violence, is it might seem so, um, it might be hard to imagine, but it's all the dead ends that you hit in the maze. You try to have a conversation, but you're stonewalled. Or you have somebody who's extremely defensive. Yeah, they hit below the belt. They, instead of, that's right. Instead of just dealing with whatever you're talking about, they go for the juggler. And they they go for def- uh, they change the subject. They do going for the juggler is a perfect example. But there's many um, many behaviors that they'll do to deflect from an authentic conversation. Right. So. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so now, I mean, I can imagine there's all these, I mean, we would like to talk about more of them, but I was just thinking to myself, wow, if I find myself in this situation, my eyes are being open right now. Maybe you didn't even realize that mm-hmm. this was really something. Um, what what can you do? What is your next step if you, once you realize you're in a, even, it's it's called a con, convert? Covert. A, covert. So like... So in other words, you're not getting hit and everything, but it's psychological. It's more of a psychological. It is, and it's very harmful. And the reason it's harmful um, is because it, the victim, because there's so many behaviors that can be used defensively that it's, let me say it another way. If constantly he just went for the juggler, 
you would say, there's a pattern here. He right. always goes for the juggler, gets very mean-spirited. So maybe I will go, maybe when I go to talk about this or that subject that upsets him, maybe I'll do it in a different way. You try different methods to navigate that. But if, and that, any one behavior repeated in a pattern is enough to be destructive to a relationship. So sure. even if you try that and he's using that one behavior over and over, that still can lead to destruction of a relationship. It's destructive to the victim. But that when they employ multiple behaviors, then what happens is the victim is less able to identify what's happening. She doesn't... It, I call it prolonged states of stressful confusion, which is why the CDC labels it as being so harmful because when you are in stress and confusion, you develop post-traumatic stress disorder and a, lo- a lot of autoimmune illnesses because it it compromises you physiologically. So let's say someone is having this the, these feelings that this they're 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 getting depressed they're realizing that they're in a situation that's mm-hmm. not healthy a lot of people as you say are going to going to maybe choose to split up they're maybe going to choose to get help mm-hmm. but the mend project tell us what the how the mm-hmm. mend project is going to help those people mm-hmm. i i heard you when you said you're going to talk to help people that are the first responders mm-hmm. so let's say i'm having an issue and I have, I belong to a community, maybe it's church, maybe mm-hmm. it's a church community, and I have a leader there or a mentor that I really care about. And I go to this person and I say to them, I'm confused, I'm having an, an issue. And what if they just tell me, oh, you know, just be nice to your husband yeah, or whatever. Have, have more sex and make more dinners. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is That's this the kind common. of thing? Is that what happens? So, mm-hmm. so this is, so then your group is what reaching out to organizations. Yeah. We, um, and that's not to put down the church community because we tend to, um, it, we tend to minimize domestic violence because we don't understand what it is and how harmful it really is, particularly if it's emotional abuse and there's not physical um, harm being mm-hmm. done. But um, so what the MEN Project does is we have a website and on the website, well, what, what I did was I interviewed more than 100 victims, 100 pastors and 100 professional counselors so that I could better understand the loopholes or the, the black spots, the blind spots, so to speak, in the dynamic that was going on. And what I learned was that victims all across the board had such a difficult time describing their experiences because it was multiple behaviors that were being employed defensively. And they weren't able, they just knew they weren't having authentic conversations. And they would say things like, well, he's a narcissist or I've tried everything. I I don't know what else I can try. Nothing I do works. Um, And so a lot of responsibility is placed on the victim and they lose clarity. And so the the website provides clarity. We we provide a definition of behaviors so they can take that to their pastor or they can take that to their counselor and say, he's doing this or she's doing this and that and, you know, name. So you're reaching out to people, not just the organizations. We we don't interface with them personally, but we provide the information for them on the website. And how do you get that word out? To people, we 
we're involved with social media. We have Facebook and Instagram. We have voluntarily trained several um, church staffs, social workers, and professional counselors. We started by just not charging um, and just volunteering so that they would become aware. And from that word of mouth, we are receiving a lot of requests and from our website to come and train nonprofit organizations who are interfacing with like sex traffic victims, um, domestic violence shelters. You have a term that you've come up with called double abuse, mm-hmm. um, where you reach out and find um, some help and support. You found that even sometimes when people are reaching out to find help and support, sometimes it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. Tell yes. us about what double yeah. abuse is. So um, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because of that very thing, that phenomenon that you're mentioning. And so it, I... When a person has post-traumatic stress, whether it's a child who's being bullied at school, they will immediately start to develop post-traumatic stress. And early symptoms can be, by a proper intervention, it can be handled and healed very relatively quickly. However, if that child comes to an administrator or a teacher or a parent and says, I'm being bullied at school and the parent says, well, just go play on the other side of the playground or, you know, what have you done to cause this? You know, maybe you're, you know, you, the, it's the most ridiculous suggestions. Well, exactly. in these kids is really gone it's, up. It's very high. In fact, I read personally 200 different narratives of child suicide. And as I read them, I learned that 97% of them had double abuse occur where the parent, the teacher, the administrator did not intervene properly. Sometimes it's intentional where a teacher is trying to hide the dynamic that she's allowing in the classroom. And sometimes it's just very innocent, inadvertent mm-hmm. that parents don't realize how serious it is and how much they need to intervene. Children don't need us to say, go play on the other side of the playground. Now look what we're doing. We're instructing the victim when what we need to be doing is instructing the perpetrators. We need to be advocating for the victim. We need to step in and get involved. And I think that's one reason why society doesn't like to talk about abuse because they're afraid it might require something of them. Well, it does require something of us. We need to be great listeners and not criticizing, directing, and instructing well, it's victims. Hard because when someone comes to you with a problem, most of us are fixers. That's right. We want to fix it. It's so much more important that we learn the right things to say. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. I want to quote something from your healing model of compassion and also from your website. It says, stigmas being rooted in ignorance isolate victims by breaking connections. We are breaking stigmas by shining light on the taboo subject of primary and double abuse. And I think that says it. And then you have your healing model of compassion. Listen over and over with closed mouth. I mean, just open your ears. We all want to... You said fix things. Fix it or give someone a response. Maybe don't even respond. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. But did I answer your question on double abuse? So double abuse is what happens when... A victim finally finds the courage to reach out, either reach out for help or speak up for the first time. And rather than be received with compassion and intervention, they are judged, criticized, and sometimes even ostracized from their family, from their church, their neighborhood, or professional community. So if you want to take a, just one quick example, all the gymnasts, 
that reached out because of Larry Nasser and the molestation that was going on. And every one of them, hundreds of them were shut down. They were told to be quiet, that it's not... Um, yeah, look where you it's are. Not You're abusive. getting this amazing opportunity, right? And don't sabotage mm-hmm. your. If if they were complainers and they would sabotage their position, they were. Right. They would have been ostracized from their opportunities. Um, there's so many examples. The same thing occurred um, in the the Catholic Church where people automatically first believed the priests and did not believe the victims, and so those families that spoke out were ostracized from the Catholic Church. Um, and sometimes they were ostracized. Even the, um, it. What am I trying to say? It was more than just the church itself. Judges were involved. Uh, p- uh, police officers, where they just believed their favorite priests. That's double abuse. Yeah. It's I call it giving preferential treatment to favored individuals. So Larry Nasser was a favored individual. He was given preferential treatment more than the victim. That's. And same thing occurs with Catholic priests, and we see it in so many stories in the media. These last two years, it's just been Mm -hmm. so prevalent. But talk to us more about the healing model. If you think about it, all of us have been girlfriends or daughters, and we go to our mom or our friend and we say, oh my goodness, I'm having this problem with my other friend, and or I'm having a problem with my mother, and she's driving me crazy, and I don't quite know what to do, and I just... I've tried this, I've tried that. And your friend immediately says, well, why would you this? Why didn't you do that? And they start criticizing in a way or giving you instruction when really you weren't asking for advice. You were just venting. You were processing out loud what your experience was and hoping to have a compassionate listener. So often we don't respond with compassion. We respond with instruction. And instruction is not compassion. It's It might feel... I found in my research interviewing so many people that most of us believe that we know what compassion is, even though it's not subjective. So to victims, that is that would exacerbate their trauma. It's the opposite of compassion. What so compassion? Thank you. Actually, I want to say thank you for talking about this because I'm. I'm sure all of us have had someone come to us, and I'd like to know. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I do really want to hear. What are the words that, mm. or like you're saying, not even maybe they're not, not maybe words, there aren't any words, but maybe there is. So what is it? What yeah, can so we say? The, what is our the right thing to, to respond to these people? Basically, if you just listen over and over and don't talk and just hold the person's hand until they ask for you to speak, the act of being a good listener, looking them in the eye and really hearing, that is one step of our healing model. Then. The next step is accept. Accept the story to be true. Don't doubt. Don't say, oh, I can't, I can't imagine your mother would act like that. I've known your mother for years and I've never seen her be this way. We, that would be denying the person's perspective and story. We don't want to ever do that. We want to accept that it's true. For someone to reach out to us, it most likely is true. 97% of stories are true. And the only time those statistics change is when it's in the court system. And then sometimes we see lower numbers. The next thing after accept is to empathize. So we want to put ourselves, really try to put ourselves in the other person's shoe. And so that when we're listening, we're really identifying with how it might feel if it was happening to us. And then the next is to validate. We want to mirror back what you hear them saying. You know, what you're telling me right now, I can only imagine what that may feel like. It, you have every reason to feel this way. Just 
Mirror five it. seconds, yeah, mirroring that's... it back. And then the next thing we say is to identify. Identify means find your parallel story. Don't hijack the conversation. You know, well, let me one up you and let me tell you what happened to me with my mom. We don't want to do that. And then we hijack the conversation and now no longer is the person speaking the speaker. Now we've changed from listener to speaker. We want to just say, you know, I, it's reminding me of something I've experienced before and I could only imagine what you're feeling right now. Um, it's just a timeout to let them know you're really listening. And then encourage. I so believe in you. I know you're going to find your way through this. You're such a, an elegant person. You're, you're so smart. I know that you're going to figure this out. And then ask. The only question to ask a person is, how can I help you? Is there something I can do? How can I help you? What can I do for you in this situation? That's really it. We don't say, we don't ask them a bunch of other nosy questions. We ask what we can do for them. And so basically, if I repeat it back, it's listen, accept, empathize, validate, identify, encourage, and ask one question. That's such great advice. And this is on your website. It is. The MEND Project. If We'll have a link to this in our show notes because that's a lot to remember. But it it's, is, yeah. but it's great really advice good. because I think what you're saying is, I think the two biggest things, if anyone took anything away from that, is listen. And if you don't know what to say, mirroring is a very easy mm-hmm. thing to do. Mm-hmm. Just mirror it. And, and then you can go away and think about it. And maybe then, then you might have a place to direct them or guide, maybe give some guidance on yeah, someone resource. that they can talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, now, Annette, what was it that you don't have to go into details, but why did you decide this was going to become your passion project? Well, because I witnessed, I experienced it at some point in my life, um, happened to me where I reached out for help and my trauma was exacerbated. My post-traumatic stress was exacerbated and I witnessed it in other people, particularly when I started my interview process. I saw people experiencing exacerbated post-traumatic stress, which the term for it, the professional term is called complex post-traumatic stress. And that's the reason why I do what I do, because complex post-traumatic stress, it's, it's just the, a, one conversation of double abuse can cause a post-traumatic stress victim to develop complex post-traumatic stress, which is so much more severe. It takes a minimum of five years to heal, unlike post-traumatic stress, which you can heal in a matter of weeks or months if you intervene quickly with a positive solution. So complex post-traumatic stress actually affects people on on the cellular level. It collapses their immune system. They develop all kinds of unexplained autoimmune illnesses. It affects them emotionally where they become more um, fragmented in their thinking. And it's, it's just more confusion and stress to where it's not manageable. And it So there you have this, the project and and you talk about this, but what do you find and what have you found is the best resource for people that are going through something like this? It's not typically their loved ones are not going to be able to Mm -hmm. 
help them with it. Or say if you go, if you're having an abusive relationship, whether it's a boyfriend or a husband, your mother's not going to be able to fix that for you. Mm -hmm. How do you find people get help and get through these things? Is it best Mm -hmm. to go to a, to a psychologist, a counselor? What are the resources? I, I tell people to shop for counselors. You can go on our website and everything on our website, um, particularly, uh, if you go on the website to download the everything on our website, you can download for free onto a PDF. So the def, the glossary of terms, the definition of behaviors, I would highly recommend that you shop for therapists by taking that definition of terms in with you and interviewing with a, a psychologist and asking them if they have experience um, with so abuse and trauma. It's sort of a tip sheet for, that's right. for re- finding the resource, right. which is great. So and you have describing a- your experience. And if they don't mm-hmm. respond well to you, if they say things like, well, why did you stay so long? Or, well, what makes you think that um, that's all you deserve in a relationship? If they start what I call over-confronting the victim, then politely leave. So you, you, don't, g- you give a roadmap mm-hmm. for what to look for and what to expect because most people don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've gone to a counselor for the first time, let's say, and you've never been into a counselor, you don't know how, what they're supposed mm-hmm. to be saying. And, and Absolutely. It almost sounds like, too, you have to listen to your gut. If it's making you it's feel so uncomfortable true. again, whoa, get out of there. Very how good point. Any, how about any books? Are there any books mm. you could recommend? Yeah, there is a book. I love um, Lundy Bancroft, L-U-N-D-Y Bancroft, is a male who was um, a batterer's prevention counselor, and he works in the court systems, and he's written several books, and there's one that I love that's called Why Does He Do That? Um, and I think that's an excellent resource. And I also think that um, Patricia Evans, she put out a book called... Um, the verbally abusive marriage, um, or verbally abusive relationship, and that was that provides some clarity. It's not as clear as the information on our website, but it will help put it into context. Well, you know, just talking about this, you know, I, it's so clear to me how I think I'm sure everybody has had somebody involved, and I just want to share a quick story. Um, my daughter in in middle in high in junior high had a teacher, her and her girlfriend, the two of them had one particular male teacher that was saying some very sexually overt things to them. And they both came to the mothers. They both came to us and we called the mothers, we called each other and confirmed the story. So we went to the school, to the school counselor, told them the story. They totally denied it and the teacher went scot-free. My daughter was so traumatized that we actually had to pull her out of that school and I don't know to this day what harm that has done to her, you know, or other or other girls. And he's still at that school. Wow, because how many young girls are going going to, like you said, ninety seven percent of the time or more, they're not going to come tell a story like that. Yeah, what's the point? No, but it's so good of you to notice how traumatized. I'm so proud of you that you took her out of school because you witnessed that it was hard for her to tell, and then when you intervened and she wasn't supported. You noticed how it exacerbated her trauma. It became a worse situation. In fact, that that situation is probably what she remembers as being worse than the primary situation with the teacher, Yes, which is what victims will often say. It was humiliating. 
for us to be in for her. And I was furious mm. that they would go in and say, no, that wasn't true. Yeah. So that probably yeah continued to bother you more than anything. Well, you know, so many people, I mean, the dynamic between even the males, a male and a female is so tricky. And if you're, if you're in a relationship early on, I mean, I experienced something with um, my daughter when she was very young and she, she was in a, she found out very quickly, it became abusive very quickly and she got out of it very quickly. But, um, but you just don't expect it. And she, and my daughter is a very strong, you know, you think, oh, that might happen to a weak girl. Mm, no, this point. was a strong girl, mm-hmm. strong girl that had everything going for and, and didn't see it coming. And fortunately she got out of it, but it took a good two and a half years. And thank goodness I, re, I, I knew to do this. I immediately got her this great counselor and this was a, a, a young woman and, but I kept her in that counseling for two years just to be sure that we she worked through that. And it was a quick, it would all happen fairly quickly, but it still is so damaging. Mm. And if you don't do something to help and help them work through that, I think she'd be still, could still be suffering mm. from that experience today, but, but we worked through it. Yes, that's so, it's, you're making such an excellent point. That's why um, there are, People, victims who remain in domestic violence relationships for sometimes 15, 20 years because it's so confusing. It does has nothing to do with their intellectual IQ, but it has a lot to do with emotional IQ. And unless somebody has really described healthy behaviors versus non-healthy behaviors, like we've done on our website, unless you have something that you can tangibly read and describe it, it's very a very unusual person who has the emotional IQ who can just come up with that automatically. So I like that on your site, how you had case, not really case studies, but you had... Scenarios. Yes, you had uh, domestic abuse scenarios. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so people can see if that relates to them. But, you know, a lot of people, I have to say also... um, a lot of people don't have a perfect relationship all the time. I mean, who does, really? So there are alpha men out there that are going to want to have the upper hand. And I wonder sometimes if there's a certain amount of that that you either learn to work around or accept, or and you sometimes have to make a decision. Am I going to just throw the baby out with the bathwater, or am I going to learn to work with it because I truly love this person and 98.999% of the time it's good. And then every now and then an ugly dragon rears its head and you Mm. think, okay, that is really, really not okay. But am I going to change my whole life over it? Mm. I mean, that's, it's a tough, it's a very fine line. I, I would say that if you feel like it is harming you and I'm not telling, I don't advocate for anyone to stay and I don't advocate for anyone to leave. I, it's such a personal decision, but if you feel that it is harming you and that it's causing you stress, it is so toxic to be in a stressful situation. I say separate because what I have um, just in my research and also consulting with other um, professionals who are experts in this field of abuse and trauma, if you start to confront these behaviors, there is about 30% of perpetrators who just simply learned bad habits in their early right. family of origin and by describing their behaviors they have 
from a wellspring inside of them they want to change. They right. they just said I didn't realize that minimization or false accusations or you know occasional yeah. white lies was that yeah, harmful. I'm going to stop doing that now that I know it's traumatizing for you. Correct. They don't always realize what they're doing. That's they don't right. Realize a, that a fish it's doesn't so know it's harmful. wet. Yeah, they don't yeah. realize how harmful mm-hmm. it can be. But you know, there are women that are nasty and harmful mm-hmm. too. So it's, it's really true. not only men. That's I mean, right. There are there are people who are in abusive relationships. Uh, where the wife is really nasty and says really harmful things, so right. it can go both ways. Mm-hmm. It's very true. Not just a male, mm-hmm. not just a male thing, but well, it's a fascinating topic, and again, it's a topic that I think we all need to talk about mm-hmm. more. And we commend you for having the gumption to get out there and spread the word. I know you're spending a lot of time and energy doing this Mm. and it's really an awesome project. We're proud of you. you. Thanks for allowing me to talk about it. So this is here in Orange County or Newport Beach, California. And if someone was, you know, out of the area, we have listeners from all over the country. um, Are you expanding your project or is it or can they find other projects similar to yours to turn to? Well, if someone's in a situation where they need help, I would suggest that they go to their domestic violence agency. And if their domestic violence agency in their area isn't helpful, then go to a larger city where they are um, following best practices. They're following the best protocols because you can get a lot of information and help, a lot of advocacy from those organizations. And they are fully equipped to help people on the ground. And they're all over the country. I um, am more about providing the educational tool that someone someone who can't leave their home, somebody who can't, doesn't know the next step, they can for free find it comprehensively on our website. So we collaborate with domestic violence organizations, but we're not, obviously we don't do one-on-one, we're not staffed to do one-on-one counseling or interventions, but we provide information to assist them in that process. So, so many times we'll get emails that say, I'm going to go to my pastor. Can you help me? Can you tell me what tools to bring him and how to best describe this? And can, will you be on a phone call? And we've handled situations like that very often from all over the country. Well, I think it's just going to grow. And I bet this thing expands. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're going to get a lot of people, more and more people will jump on the bandwagon with you and we wish you the very best of luck. And, and I hope you. our listeners will please share this program with anybody that they think might even have an inkling of these types of problems and send them to the mend, M-E-N-D project.com and let, let this be a resource for them. Yes. Thank you. We Thank would love you, to help. Ned. This episode is brought to you by the Ladies Roadmap Journal. Is your life on autopilot? To Jamie, I think to have excitement in life, you have to stay curious and keep chasing your dreams. Exactly, Lana. And that's why this self-care life planning journal, it's, it's unlike any journal you've ever used before. It's so easy and it's a way to get clarity on your thoughts and intentions. Think of it as a way to jumpstart your day or you may want to wind down your day by getting those thoughts rolling around on paper and out of your head. 
my favorite part is getting clear on the one thing that I want to accomplish today. And I love focusing on my gratitude for the day. That's the feedback we've been getting from the ladies that have been using the journal. They've been sharing on how the journal is affecting their lives in such a positive way. Well, we created this journal because like you, all we want to do is live a fulfilled life and stay ageless in mind and spirit. Watch your life unfold as you align and direct your intentions. To get started today, purchase your life planning journal at ladiesroadmap.com. If you want to stay up to date with our five-star podcast, be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You'll never miss an episode and you'll see our latest tried and true lifestyle products. You can sign up at ladiesroadmap.com. And ladies, if you like our show, please take a minute to subscribe and rate our podcast because it's super important so that other women can easily find the show. You can do it on iTunes or to make it even easier, we've put a link in the show notes on our website.